Well, good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Um, uh, it's good to have you tune in today, this Sunday morning. Before we go any further, I just want to acknowledge the fact that it's another dark day this past week in Canadian history. And so I want to encourage you to take some time to pray and also to make an effort to call on our federal government to act quickly and efficiently in regards to helping our First Nations communities find some closure and healing. When one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. And so we hurt with our brothers and sisters from uh, our First Nations communities and these discoveries. So let's move forward, shall we? We're continuing in our summer playlist series, and uh, the song that was chosen today is a country song. So we're all the country music fans. (laughs) Doesn't seem to be any here on stage. Um, You actually have no idea how hard it was for me to say yes, um, because now my Spotify suggested playlist is now filled with country songs. Like, God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy, which could have been a life lesson in itself. But needless to say, I'm taking this one for the team, yes. And if you didn't know, country is the one genre that I personally am not a fan of. But again, this is not about me. So, now before we dive in, I have to say that Christians can no longer afford to treat the culture like a threatening influence. Instead, we have to recognize that we're permanently woven into the social fabric into the very system. The culture is part of our families, is part of our churches, is part of our schools. And when we look at culture, um, there is language, there are scenes that maybe, um, yeah, I'll say it like this. We're not encouraged to uh, um, uh, imitate, you, you know, scripturally speaking. However, as we look at culture, we need to be mature. And we have to deal with it in a mature way. And that means talking about it. And, uh, and if we have to talk about it, then by all means, let's do so in an open environment uh, with our scripture next to us. And as believers in the world, we're supposed to stand up for things that are true, lovely, honorable, and right. And however, though, sometimes there are things that are true, uh, but at the same time, ugly true. And we need to stand up and address those things as well. And that's called justice. Now, Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. We can learn a lot from the Apostle Paul as he engages the pagan Athenians. Uh, Here he is. He's on this uh, cross-cultural missionary venture. And he's approaching a cultural landscape that is much like ours today. And what Paul does is that when he first goes into the city in Acts 17, he realizes very quickly that the people are off the charts spiritually. And... um, They're nowhere close to truth and what life is about. But before preaching the gospel, before, you know, telling them what's going on, he listens. He listens and he watches. It's really important. And what he listens to is he listens to the philosophers of the day. He watches the cultural expressions that are expressed by their poets. Um, Also things that are expressed in their visuals, such as the the idols that litter the landscape with their little uh, plaques. And he reads those inscriptions. And he gets an understanding of the culture that he finds himself. And so then he's able to quote the philosophers and the inscriptions to spark conversation. To hear their interpretations and what they have. And so in turn, what he does is he now takes the philosophers of, our, of their day and um, he, he, he hears those interpretations and he creates that conversation. And we have to do the same thing. 
I've said before that the actors and musicians are our cultural philosophers of our day. You don't, whether you agree with it or not, that doesn't really matter. It's what is. And we have chosen this time, instead of movies, we've chosen music, right? And hence, we're looking at one cultural expression entitled, Drinking Beer, Talking God, Amen, by Chase Rice with Brian Kelly and Tyler Hubbard of Florida, Florida Georgia Line. Now, of course, I have to dive into this stuff, so let me just share with you what I have found. Rice said that the trio's friendship goes way back when they used to live in a house together some 10 years ago, and they all wrote a bunch of songs way back then. And today, as we look at this song, um, I have to be honest, there's nothing quite like sitting around a fire, cracking open something cold, having some s'mores or hot dogs, and having good conversation with great friends. Nobody's in a rush with the fire, right? We're all staring at it. We're all talking. Now, if you watch this uh, music video of this song, you know, all three country singers look very comfortable in the video, and it's almost like they do this thing all the time. And the fact is, is that the video was filmed on Rice's own property in Nashville in an old tobacco barn. And this is uh, their first um, collaboration between Rice and Florida Georgia Line since uh, a hit back in 2012 called Cruise, which I also had to listen to. Just saying, I've been taking a lot for the team. Uh, in my research. And so these guys decided to give this song their all and make it into something they really cared about. And when it was originally written in pre-pandemic times, it held a slightly different meaning than it does now. But the goal was always the same, to focus on slowing down, taking the time to have important conversations. Now, to be honest, this song couldn't have been more perfect for what this year has been, if I can put it that way, which has been in some respect, a lot of people sitting around fires. Um, <laughs> Rice said in an interview with Country Now, he's saying, having new friends that I've never had before, having friends that I've had, but we've gone much deeper. And that's what I love so much about this song. It's that it, uh, it is that it's celebrating 2020 for what it is as opposed to what it wasn't. And so for many, when you think about it, sitting outside by the fire may have been the only safe way for people to socialize with friends and loved ones this past year when we weren't allowed to gather together. Um, or actually when we were allowed to gather together. Rice goes on and he says, we actually wrote this song before the pandemic, which is crazy because it's almost like God was interviewing, uh, intervening in the song just to say, hey, y'all, get ready. I didn't know God had a uh, Western twang. You're going to have a lot of time to sit around a fire, drink some beer, and hang out with me. Rice goes on to say it's a special song in that way because it really is a celebration of 2020 and what it became for us and a lot of other people, slowing down to enjoy these moments with our loved ones and having deeper, more meaningful conversations with each other. Tyler Hubbard went on, he said, this song just really means a lot to us because it's real, you know, it's a story. It's a song about the life that we live and what happens in a lot of times when we get together and we're reminiscing about life and we're talking about where we're at, what we're going through, having a few drinks, and, you know, just being real. Brian Kelly adds, you know, this is the first time I heard it. it was like, yo, this song's a hit. It feels big. It's spiritual. It's powerful. It's kind of like a party song. I got all these emotions and all these feelings in it, and I was already drawn to it just by the title alone. And so when it came to making their video, Rice said it couldn't have been easier if they tried. The video itself was really cool to film, he says, because we weren't acting or remembering lines. We were just hanging out on my farm as real friends enjoying the night together. 
And the song lyrics actually reflect, uh, I think, what most of us have been doing during this pandemic quarantine. Slowing down, spending quality life uh, with family, uh, with some friends, right? And that's really what's celebrated in this song. And the first verse sets the tone for the entire song as he sings, and I quote, I ain't never been the church-going type, can't quote much past 316, even though it's a Friday night, church found me. I appreciate the fact that at least he's honest. He's honest where he is in his spiritual walk. But at the same time, probably, I think this reflects the majority of people within our social circles. They don't go to church. They possibly know that 316 is more than just a wrestling moniker and it's related to the Bible somehow. And yet, there's still this openness and this honesty to sitting around a fire and talking life with friends and family. Now, What struck out to me when I listened to this song is the importance of creating a safe place for us to discuss and share faith with friends and family. Because let's be honest, most Christians like having people come into a relationship with Jesus, but we wish God would use somebody else to get them there, right? Um, A study conducted by LifeWay Research found that 80% of those who attend church one or more times a month believe that they have a personal responsibility to share their faith, but most never do. The suggestion that every Christian is called to share the gospel is unsettling to most. Since most of us don't feel gifted as evangelists, right? Although it's thrilling to be a part of somebody's journey to faith, proposing a spiritual conversation with friends and neighbors can actually provoke some angst within us. And this may be true for you and and, and for many understandable uh, reasons. You might feel unprepared to answer the questions you fear people will throw at you. Uh, You might be a bit intimidated by a hostile attitude towards Christianity, which is held by some folks and maybe in your circles. You might think that sharing your faith could create conflict and generate bad feelings. Or you might feel unqualified because, well, (laughs) I hate to say this, but maybe your faith isn't very exemplary. Ouch, I said it. Sorry. But what if we understood that being a part of somebody's journey to faith in Jesus could begin with something as simple as sitting around a fire and having something cold or a cup of coffee and great discussion? What if? And then the next thing you know that you're encouraging somebody who's had a rough week at work or you're offering a helping hand in some way, shape, or form or maybe even a, a prayer to a friend who's under duress. You know, what if we really truly believe Jesus' words about sharing the gospel with others? What if we believe that Jesus authorizes us to act on his behalf to fulfill our calling as witnesses and that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me according to Matthew 28, 18? What if his promise is true that the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said according to John 14, 26? What if we were confident in Jesus' presence that he is with us always and everywhere, in every situation, as he says in Matthew 28, 20. What if in brief interactions, those casual mentions of our faith, that we knew that the Holy Spirit was at work in the hearts and the minds of people, according to John 16, 8. What if we knew we didn't have to be perfect and say just the right things, that it was God's work to draw people to himself that no one can come to me unless drawn by the father again john 6:44 what if we understood 
that simply doing something nice can turn on the spiritual light for our friends. Matthew 5 talks about seeing your good works and giving glory, that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. See, this is what the early Christians believed when you think about it. This is how they saw their role in fulfilling the Great Commission to make the disciples of all nations, and it changed the world. It's the greatest communication success story in human history. How the gospel spread across the Mediterranean world and ultimately to every corner of the earth. And just before Jesus' ascension, he outlined his strategic plan for reaching the entire world with the good news of the kingdom. And he told his, fathers, uh, his followers, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He also said that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, the first century disciples embraced this mission. The followers of Jesus, they, they grew from a few hundred before the day of Pentecost to over six million by the end of the third century. Now, I think we could be tempted to believe that the exponential growth of the early church was probably resulted of the effective preaching of Paul or Peter or a few other gifted communicators whose occupation, right, was to spread the gospel. Or we may want to credit Paul, the strategy for targeting, targeting key cultural centers in cities and planting churches that could share the gospel throughout the surrounding countryside. Well, these efforts were no doubt noteworthy, like, you know, after all, they're mentioned in the Bible, but even more so is the fact that the early Christians of every ethnicity, gender, and every level of society were passionate about extending Christ's kingdom. They were determined to act as Christ's ambassadors to the world. And in some cases, regardless of the consequences. History in the New Testament tell us that the gospel spread like wildfire throughout the trade routes in public places from house to house. Or in the Greek, it was called the oikos. From oikos to oikos. And that oikos was a basic social economic unit of the Greco-Roman world. It wasn't just a home. It wasn't just a house where a family lived. But really, it was the small business of ancient times that included extended family members. It included workers and customers who would frequent that place. Kind of like a backyard fire pit. And it was through those informal conversations that men and women would share the gospel with friends, with their relatives, with co-workers, colleagues, customers, students, teachers, fellow soldiers, and, and through uh, the whole network of their own personal relationships. These people were not professional clergy. They were simply informal evangelists. As early as Acts 8, we, we find that it's not just the apostles, but it's the amateur missionaries. These were the people that were evicted from Jerusalem as a result of the persecution which followed Stephen's uh, martyrdom. They took the gospel with them wherever they went. Um, this must not have been formal preaching, but it was informal sharing to friends and to acquaintances, in homes, in wine shops, on walks, around the market stalls. They went everywhere talking about faith. And they did it naturally. They did it enthusiastically. And they had conviction. They shared what they had. 
You know, I, I look at the second verse of the song and it says, I don't know what heaven looks like. Now, I don't think anybody does. But if it's, um, if it's like down here, up there tonight, then there's folks like us sitting here drinking beer, talking God, amen. Killing time, living life with some down-home friends. When the world's gone crazy, man, it all makes sense. Sitting here, drinking beer, talking God, amen. Um, again, I think that this line's a tremendous insight into our culture exploring the concept of the afterlife. How many times have we had those conversations with friends? But being safe to share our hearts when the world around us has gone crazy. Right? And this led me to wonder if, if many Christians who don't, you know, really don't know what the gospel is. So let me help you out. Simply put, the gospel is the good news of God reaching out to us with the fullness of his love through Jesus. You know, usually people are uh, most interested in hearing how you've experienced the goodness of God's love. Think about that. And so simply share what a difference following Jesus is making in your life. And when you begin to do that, you begin to share the gospel. And it can take place around a fire pit. Evangelism is the organic process of intentionally engaging individuals in their spiritual journey and joining the Holy Spirit and watching for where he's already at work to help these individuals take one step closer to God and new life in Christ as God intended. Just helping people, just sharing. It's realizing it's the Holy Spirit's job, not your job. And success in evangelism is constantly taking the initiative, using the gifts, the opportunities that God has given us to help individuals move one step closer to life. I think sometimes we think success in evangelism is to make sure that we've notched people in our belt. No, 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 no. No, it's just taking people one step closer. And so I want to encourage you today with something that I believe is very effective wherever you find yourself, whether it's work or whether it's in your backyard drinking beer, talking God. Amen? Evangelism is not about getting other people to do the thing that you want them to do. It's not about crafting the right technique to make that right moment fall together ever so neatly. Evangelism is about looking at the person in front of your face, no matter who that person is, and gasping at the wonder, at the miraculous, beautiful creation that God has endowed with dignity and a worth that that nothing can erase in this person, that no matter how deep in the mire that person is swimming in, that you see that person and you know for a fact, here is somebody worth dying for. And then you just try for a few minutes to do something worthy of being in the presence of such a person. I think too often Christians are so focused on sharing the message that sometimes we forget the most important step and that's listening. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone where you couldn't get a word in edgewise? <laughs> you know, when we fail to listen to those we speak, we're likely to miss more than an interesting antidote or two. We actually risk missing the person themselves. I think it can be deeply frustrating to feel spoken at rather than with to be the recipient of a monologue versus the partner in a dialogue. And for most of us, not to be heard is worse than being misunderstood. It's tantamount to not being seen or valued. You see, unfortunately, evangelism can too often be expressed as a one-way communique. 
there will always be a place, if I can put it this way, for public evangelism from a platform, from a stage or a pulpit. But when it comes to personal evangelism, that, that daily opportunity for most Christians, a one-way communique is, is, is a poor practice on a number of levels, especially as it positions those we speak to as targets rather than real people who God is offering a restored relationship. And it's hard to help people see God, that God loves them when his own ambassadors appear disinterested and don't want to listen. Author Kate Murphy explains the simple yet profound power of listening. She writes, she goes, listen, to listen well is to figure out what's on somebody's mind and demonstrate that you care enough to want to know. It's what we all crave, to be understood as a person with thoughts, emotions, and intentions that are unique and valuable and deserving of attention. And so the value of listening is not found merely in the information you receive about somebody, but in the value a person receives as you give them your loving attention. And Christian evangelism is not about selling a product. It's an introduction to the living person of Jesus Christ. The God who desires to be in a relationship with people. It's not statistics. It's not demographic targets. It's not missional objectives. It's people. People who are unique and valuable and who have his attention. And listening well isn't uh, just a social, social science ideal either. It's a preference of interaction from which we reach out to. See, according to, again, recent research from Barna, 62% of non-Christians and lapsed Christians say that, somebody, that someone who listens without judgment would be the best person to talk with about faith. And again, that's significantly higher than any other quality reported. People just want to be heard. Whether they're right or wrong doesn't matter. They just want to be heard. They want to be heard without a reactionary prejudice. And, and again, that's not to say that we are unwilling to disagree at all. But before disagreement can be explored, I think understanding is needed. We need to listen. And by listening, we can show people that we care about them, not simply that we want to tell them all the ways in which we think that they're wrong. The Bible wisely tells us in Proverbs 18, 13, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. In other words, shut up and listen. Beyond giving value and showing care to people, there are additional practical benefits to really listening. And when we listen, we learn. We learn about what's going on in people's lives and we meet their actual needs versus what we think they need. We can also make connections to the gospel to address their voiced questions rather than assuming what they must be thinking. See, our willingness to listen and to receive input from others sends a powerful message. It says, I care. I care what you think and that you have something valuable to contribute. And when we ask questions and we listen and with focused attention and with a humble spirit, we invite trust and we invite cooperation, whether it's our workplace or our backyard, as well as we begin to develop that personal relationship. James 1.19 says, Let everyone be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. And again, we listen not just because it reflects well on us, but because the person speaking is an individual made in the image of God. And that individual made in the image of, our, of God deserves our respect, even when that image has been distorted. 
So this summer, when you sit around the fire with a cold drink in your hand, you're talking about God. Remember. Remember to first. And if you have a pen and a paper, if you have your phone out, write this down. Ask questions. Just ask questions. See, a huge part of listening involves asking good questions in response to the things that are being said. It reveals that you are actually listening thoughtfully. It keeps the conversation moving in interesting areas. It gives you a better chance to understand the thoughts and the needs of your conversation partner. Jesus, of course, was the master of this. He asked far more questions than he answered and perhaps revealed nowhere better than the healing of blind Bartimaeus. When he looked at him, he says, what do you want me to do for you? You can read that story in Mark chapter 10. What do you want me to do for you? Secondly, as, as believers, sometimes I think we need to beware of winning, right? I think the fastest way to kill a conversation is to win it. You don't need to have all the answers. In fact, Barna suggests that know-it-all conversation partners are not well-regarded by non-Christians. And you certainly don't need to walk away as the conversational victor. Wear the belt, right? A conversational win is one in which both parties are able to share their thoughts clearly with each other in a safe area. And that leads to the, the third one is create space. When we're having conversations with people, create space for people to think about what they're saying and hearing in response and also give yourself space to reflect rather than always rushing to respond. You don't need to force conclusions. It was interesting when we first had our, uh, when we first planted uh, Seoul, we had a, a couple come to our house. Remember what that was like? Yeah, it's pre-pandemic. We had a couple who was new to the community, new to church, really, and they came to our house, and they, they just came with a list of questions. And uh, this was a Sunday after, you know, church was over, and I was tired preaching, and we still Sharon invited them over, and they had a list of questions. And I remember just going through all the questions with them. <laughs> you know, just taking time. And there was a part of me, I'm such a bad pastor, but there was a part of me, I was so tired, it was just like, can't you guys just go home? And, and, and again, it started getting late into the night. And uh, I answered all their, the, you know, they had questions about the Bible, they had questions about culture, they had questions about Jesus. And most of the time, all I did to answer their questions was to say, hey, well, this is what the Bible says. You read it. What does it say? And then they were done. And I, and I think that's exciting. So any, any more questions? No? Okay. And it wasn't like um, I needed them to make a decision. You need to make a decision. Let me pray for you. It was just like, well, thanks for coming over. You know, it was great. It was just a great time to sit and to talk. And they were heard. I know that for a fact because it was the next morning where uh, one of them phoned me and he said basically, um, his words were that the song that was sung on Sunday morning, which was Amazing Grace, uh, Grace Flows Down, is now become my song. I invited Christ into my life last night. See, I didn't need to force a conclusion. You allow the Holy Spirit to do His work. And then the fourth thing that we do is we discover together. The conversation is an opportunity for us to discover together the mysteries of God. You know, as well as listen to those that we are speaking with, that we may realize that God is teaching us something as well. Don't water down evangelism as, a, as an attempt to get someone to where you are, right? But you view it as a journey that you both take towards Jesus together. Just discover together. 
And then finally, you explore conflict. So I need to say this. Other world views contain truth. There are questions about Christianity that are helpful. Um, there are objections about Christianity that can even be insightful. And I don't think we should dismiss everything that comes from a counterposition to our own, especially without listening carefully to its contents and the context it holds in our conversation partner's life experience. They may be shaped a certain way to look at things a certain way. So explore perceived conflict and counterpositions. This becomes thought-provoking contributions to an ongoing conversation. Be inquisitive when you have these things thrown at you. When you have conflict, be inquisitive. Don't be so defensive. Be inquisitive and affirm what is good. And as we attempt to listen to those around us, we also listen carefully to the Spirit of God. And we, and we do this in prayerful preparation for evangelism. It's been said that evangelism is simply joining in the conversation the Holy Spirit is already having with the person. You hear that? It's already joining the conversation the Holy Spirit is having with the individual. So let's turn our heart and our ears to those we speak with. You know, evangelism is not much about bringing people to Jesus, but bringing Jesus to people when you think about it. It's like a show and tell, right? Bringing Jesus to people, serving them. That was Paul's key tra- uh, strategy, bringing people to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 9.19, he says, Though I'm free and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. He brought people to Jesus. Paul was willing to reach out to people wherever they felt at home in terms of space, in terms of language or history, not to make them uh, accommodate themselves to him. He would serve them, right? And it starts with caring about people enough to ask questions and, and really listen to the answers. It means setting out your own agenda aside and becoming genuinely curious about another person's thoughts about God. It's about helping people move closer to Christ. Step by step, little by little. Until they're ready, really, to say yes to him. Will you do that? Will you take some time? As restrictions are opening up, will you invite people to your backyard? Have a fire? Just talk, listen. Maybe offer to pray. And when asked about your faith, freely share. Let's pray. Father, you send us out into the world in your name, but we prefer sometimes to stay safely behind. We admit that though you have sent each of us out with the task of raising disciples, we often neglect the task. Honestly, maybe we're nervous and unmotivated and uncertain while we regularly meet people who need you. We love to think about how you loved us. But many times we're much more reluctant to show that love to others. And it's especially hard to care for those who challenge or insult or disrespect us, right? So strengthen us that we would live up to your call to love even our enemies and forgive us for our sins and renew, renew our zeal for showing others your love. Lord, your love is remarkable and you have graciously pursued us. You have forgiven us. You have saved us. So stir your love and compassion within our hearts and give us courage to share the story of your grace with those who don't know yet 
who Jesus is. Help us, God, to live as salt and light so that we may bring God's love and goodness to our communities. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for tuning in this morning. In ancient times, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving the blessing did likewise. Here it is, soul sanctuary. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. So sanctuary, do all things without murmuring or arguing so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So sanctuary, shine like stars in this world. And soul, invite your friends to take time to sit and hear, even if you drink beer, to talk God. Amen? Go in peace. Live the church. And we'll see you next week.